up, everybody? Welcome back to Four Yogs Podcast. This is episode five. So this is the first episode we've done since the, the, the tragic killing of George Floyd in Minnesota. And today we really want to delve into not just the, the circumstances around uh, George Floyd's murder, but also, you know, the response globally to racism and what we've seen from, you know, social media in the news, people we know, and also really just discussing our own experiences growing up as minorities in England and how like racism has impacted our life and how we kind of see the racial landscape of the UK. So, so much to get into on this episode, right? A hundred percent, man. Like you said, I mean, you couldn't have introduced any better. This event, the, you know, the tragic passing of George Floyd after the after being sort of apprehended by the by the Minnesota Police Department. Yeah, the 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 video was uh, really hard to watch, but it was a similar flavor to a lot of the other things that we've seen in terms of uh, police brutality to to African Americans. You know, there's there's a multitude of cases come to mind. You know, when the police are using uh, unreasonable amount of force, or there's like you know, there's in terms of the individuals completely outnumbered in you know, to how many people are um, restraining them, and you know, to see this this uh, everyone knows everyone knows the details of the incident. Um, everyone, I'm sure everyone's seen the video. Um, but you're right. This event has kind of lit the match to, and this flame is, you know, it's kind of spreading around the world. I mean, I can only speak really for the UK in terms of, you know, what the, the sort of sense and the feeling is in here. And I'm sure you can, you know, talk about the the sentiment that's felt across the US, um, particularly in California. But I'm, I mean, I'm hoping that there's, you know, positive change comes off the back of this. It feels like there's some serious momentum behind this. Um, it feels slightly. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is. Um, this is not just a kind of flavor of the month kind of protest. And then this is this is something that's forgotten about shortly after. It feels certainly different. It feels like there's, like I said, a lot of momentum behind this. So um, yeah, you're right. A lot to cover in this episode. Yeah, I love the imagery of the lighting of the match that spread across the world, because that's what it feels like. It feels like there is there's real social change coming. And I mean, so just, just to jump into the George Floyd situation in and in, in of itself, you know, this actually comes off the back of us discussing another kind of high profile killing in the US, Ahmad Aubrey case, right? And I mean, on the episode, we spoke about kind of systemic racism in the US and like demonization of black people and, and the laws which allow these sorts of things to happen. But this is not the same thing. This this George Floyd, this wasn't a civilian killing another civilian. This was, first of all, was a police officer whose response is to protect and serve the community in which it, it works, right? Mm -hmm. And we saw one, definitely, and potentially three other police officers completely complicit in killing a man with their bare hands, right? And and so something I've been thinking about a lot about this case, right? And the racial dynamic we're going to definitely get into, obviously. Mm -hmm. But do, do you think part of the reason the reaction has been so strong to this case is because it was a barehanded killing because you know in the US they're used to people getting shot they're used to that sort of level of violence but there's something so graphic about somebody being killed with their bare hands no I mean, 100% I, I think that definitely has something to do with it the, the the manner in which this man's life was taken from him and the um I think more so for me at least what hit me hardest was he was pleading you know pleading with this uh like you said this officer is um he's sworn in to to protect the habitants of the the place that he's you know you know sworn in to protect and serve and for this individual george floyd to be you know begging for his life saying he can't breathe saying um calling out for his his mother who 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 had actually passed away i think all of that and going out on camera like literally 
you know, due to the pressure that was, you know, on his neck. I mean, I've been in that position, like in, in, in jiu-jitsu, like if someone's on your back and they're putting pressure because he was putting pressure on his spine and, uh, you know, having someone's knee on your neck. So I've, I've felt, you know, an, another person's whole weight on, on my back and it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's crushing, soul crushing, literally. It's um for someone to, who, you know, they, they were, he was outnumbered, you know, four to one. Um, there, 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 there are there are probably an array of different ways that situation could have been dealt with that didn't result in his death. But I think you're right. Like to more to what you said initially is that yes, I think it's the manner of which he was this man's life was taken from him, and the moment up until that point before his before his passing, where he's pleading with this uh, officer to 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 relieve the, the pressure that he's putting on his neck, telling him he can't breathe, and you know calling out for his for his uh, his mother who'd already you know passed away. You know, so graphic, and and like you said. In fact, the, the, while the, the incident was being filmed, uh, one of the men that was there observing was pleading with the police to stop. And he said, I'm a jiu-jitsu instructor. I teach at the academy, right? And, he's, and he actually had an interview uh, shortly after. And he said, like, you know, I teach jiu-jitsu at the academy. Do you know the effects of this? Like, I, I, I train with you guys. You're not taught this in the academy to do this. You know, we spend our, our free time learning about chokes and learning about how the body responds to, to chokes and pressure. So you can relate to how it feels to have somebody on your neck, and like for six minutes, you know, it's just it's just unfathomable that the fact the fact that this police officer could even think that this would be an acceptable way of restraining somebody with his hands in his pockets, all of his weight on the neck, it's just shocking. It just points to bad policing. It, you know, the fact that they they felt the need to do this to someone who wasn't even resisting arrest. It just it just points to so many bad issues within the police force, aside from the institutional racism. And yeah, so th this incident happened. And thank God for, for the internet and social media in the age we live in, because this incident was beamed across the world. And what we saw was very intense uh, protests in Minnesota, which then really spread across the whole of the US. And out here in Oakland, it was Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night of protests. And the response was amazing. You know, Oakland is, is a historically black city with its own issues in the past about police brutality. So the, the people here were just, you know, absolutely appalled and, and really came out in force to show solidarity. You know, what we saw kind of as an offshoot of that was um, a sort of outbreak of, of looting, right? And I think the looting has been used to almost discredit the protest. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people feel a, a type of way about the looting. And, you know, I have my own opinions on it. And, but, but I mean, I understand what's the, what's the Martin, Martin Luther King uh, line. It's the, you know, riot is the language of the unheard basically mm -hmm. and i feel you can't expect for people for a group of people that have felt um marginalized um for a number of you know, decades to, and they don't and they don't feel as though they have a platform in order to sort of voice this and to be heard um i think it's it's foolish really to 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 not think at any point there's going to be an absolute outrage a point of outrage and i think that's this is not the first time we've seen something like this. You know, I think of the Rodney King incident, you know, 20, 20 odd years ago where, you know, uh, again, you know, African-Americans rioting, going absolutely crazy over the, the of, a, of a of a fellow African-American. And it's, um, I just hope that, yeah, just like I said at the beginning, I just hope that after this, all these incidents, um, I hope there's some positive 
positive reform, both in the way people view the world and view each other and and in a more sort of legislative sense in that there's actual reform and hopefully there's some sort of systemic approach to, to removing some of that systemic racism that's not just in the US, but across the globe. Totally agree. So obviously, due to the nature of social media, we have to endure, maybe endure is the correct word, endure everybody's responses, right? So, you know, we don't live in a, in a world where we're only seeing what we kind of think. We're only getting exposed to people expressing opinions that we don't agree with. For some reason, a lot of people have taken umbrage with these protests and they're using the fact that there was looting to discredit the protest. Now, personally, I don't agree with looting. I think it's unnecessary, right? Mm -hmm. But... If you look at the looting and say, oh, well, Black Lives Matter, but they shouldn't be looting. If, if the looting is detracting from the statement of the protests, then mm-hmm. you're you're getting it all wrong, in my mm-hmm. opinion, right? And the sort of polarization of this issue is what really blows my mind. So many people are quick to just discredit the movement or say it's unnecessary or racism isn't that bad. And it's like, you've seen it on camera. like. And, and the fact of the matter is, take the racial element out of the killing. Do you want your police force to use that force on anybody? Do you want your police force to be empowered to do that? If you're a person who's not on the side of Black Lives Matter for whatever reason, Mm. And you're seeing that, well, surely you can't think that's part of a civilized society anyway, right? It's not just the, they're using, it's not just people I've seen, I've seen, again, I agree. I've seen people who have used um, the fact that some of the protesters are opting to loot as a kind of way to detract from the, the original point of the movement. I've also seen people talking about George Floyd himself in the fact that he may or may not have been intoxicated at the time or been taking drugs or any number of things that, that have been used to kind of discredit the whole, you know, point of the movement. And it's just, it's just such a moot point, even if that was the case. Like you said, is that the type of way that you think the police department should be should be treating its um the people it's been sworn in to protect and serve? Do you think, you know, people should be treated like that? And again, it's the it's the other thing with the, you know, the whole all lives matter as opposed to black lives that matter. That's a, that's another thing that I've seen. Um and and that one is just uh, that one completely blows my mind as well. It's like yeah, we're not people aren't trying to say that because black because they're asking for black lives to matter it means that some in some way you know this is some type of it, it literally use it you look at the word matter matter <laughs> it's not it's not like black lives are superior or black lives are it's literally just matter as in like to be valued in some way more than it is now and the, you know someone i heard i don't know where i heard it from i can't i can't recall the bit uh, where i heard it from but it was like it's the same thing as like someone saying oh oh there's a there's a house um this house is on fire and the fire brigade comes in and you know is about to put water on the houses and he goes oh well you know the, you know put water on all the houses because or like what about the other houses why are you taking care of this one he goes yeah i know but this this house over here is needs help you know <laughs> let, me, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me try and put the fire out here yeah no but what about the other houses well, yeah, I know they're, they're not on fire right now. Like, I need to go put this fire out. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. like, it's, it's exactly the same thing. If, if there's going to be someone that's going to try and argue the, the case that, you know, there's a disproportionate amount of violent, the way African-Americans and other and other um, ethnic minority groups are treated by, by the police, not just by the police, by other institutions in and around the world, if they're going to say that there is absolutely no evidence to support the fact that, there's a, you know in terms of treatment there isn't a disparity then I, I i don't i don't want to do business with you i i can't i can't relate to you i can't i can't talk to you because i due to the ubiquity of mo- mobile phones and the fact that they're just able to capture this stuff i think it's just it's shining a shining a light on it now that stuff's always been there that stuff's always been there and now we're just 
we're seeing it more. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I am on the whole thing. This isn't up for debate anymore, right? If you're going to try and debate the presence of of, of racism in institutions in the US or anywhere else, I can't I can't engage you in conversation because you're you're letting your biases you're you're going into this prejudice from the start for some reason, and I don't want to start casting aspersions on people and saying people are racist, but if you're refusing to acknowledge this and refusing to engage this and and look at the facts, then you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was gonna, to I was it, gonna, to gonna <laughs> yeah, yeah, to play it bloody. I mean, honestly, man. Um, what this has created is now created this window where people can actually talk about race in a much more open way. And so, if you like, you know, I engaged extensively on social media in the last week in conversations about race, sharing my own experiences, and mm. talking to and and you know, seeing seeing other people in my network who are non-black minorities also talking about how anti-black racism is in their own cultures, how racism is in their own cultures. And it's been really refreshing to see these conversations being had because I think people of our age group maybe haven't had these conversations with their parents and, and wider society. So is there anything in the last like week or so, any, any, any kind of conversations in your own life that you've had with anyone uh, where you feel like, you know, you might have learned something or you've been able to like help them learn something seeing the fact that people have made a conscious effort to and i think that's our duty at the end of the day our duty as the next generation is to to leave it in a better place leave it in a better place than when we found it and i think having those conversations with with your family members or your friends just you know increasing awareness and visibility of things they might not even know you know you know doesn't your friend doesn't have to be a bigot to be you know unaware of these things you know, that doesn't make them a that doesn't make them a bigot. That doesn't make them a racist. It just makes them someone who doesn't know. And it's your it's your duty as a and 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 there's nothing with being wrong either. People can have views that are wrong. Us as a society, we've made a decision that you know this is not the way we need to do things. We need to change things. And yet, hundred percent, those conversations should be having. I think for me, one thing I I I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say that I haven't actually. Well, I've had a friend a conversation with my friends, but they're 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 more in the same sort of. Um, standing as I am. And I think that's a conscious effort on my part to surround myself with people who, who are in that kind of way. And that's, that's, I know that's, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's kind of how my life has naturally developed. Like I don't have a lot of people in my life um, that are close to me that, that are going to, you know, have those types of viewpoints because I, I generally wouldn't want to sort of hang around, but on your point of um, in sort of other ethnic minorities where these, these prejudices exist, a hundred percent. I want to take. I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I'm taking it upon myself to make sure I'm having those conversations with, whether it's my, not necessarily my parents, because I think they're slightly more. Um, they see the world slightly differently. But there's other members that are kind of in my family, not in my family, that I feel like I should be having talks with, um, and making sure that at least I've done that. Making sure that at least I've raised my point on that because I've made the mistake of not being vocal when I hear things that are not acceptable, you know, things that haven't sat right with me. And for whatever reason, social pressure, just awkwardness, I haven't, I haven't spoken up about it. And I've made a kind of promise to myself that if I do hear those things, or I know somebody thinks that certain way, then I'm going to try and make it a duty for myself that I have those types of conversations with those people. I love that, bro. And I think, and that's the beauty of, of the, the response that we've seen is that people are now able or feel able to engage in these conversations, which is a, which are a difficult, uh, which, sorry, race is a difficult thing to talk about. Right. Um, and, and, you know, 
I, I think I've always been hyper aware of racism. Um, I, you know, growing up with a dad like mine, who was always very vocal about racism, especially with regards to the police, um, he'd, he'd always, he'd always uh, sort of put me onto it from an early age. And I think I've always had this sort of approach of calling shit out when I see it or when I hear it or when I feel like it's directed at me or anybody else, for the most mm. part. Mm. Um, in the workplace, I, I find like, you know, let's just get this clear everything that's racial is not racist mm -hmm. so calling someone an effing an effing n-word and then beating them up racist right i think we can agree on that you agree on that one <laughs> can i touch your hair or where are you really from or you oh, know man. you're so exotic <sighs> so if, those people don't know that's problematic, right? And I guess the yeah. term that's been been coined for that is microaggressions, right? Now, like I'm gonna try and paint this picture. Like, you know, these microaggressions, they're like, you know, they're they're the seed, right? So you plant all these seeds and it grows this big tree, which is racism, right? And the fruit right. that comes off of racism is 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 a is a black man getting killed in Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. So you you know, you look at the seed, you look at the fruit, you can't always see the connection, mm -hmm. but we have to we have to sort of stop these seeds being sown on a, on a, on a day to day basis. Um, mm -hmm. I've had incidents at work, even even out here in California, where you know I think I can't believe they just said that, and I'll go home and I'll make I make my network carry the burden. My loved ones, my friends, my family. Can you believe he said this? Am I crazy? And and that's got to change, right? Because and why am I and why are my people carrying the burden for what you know somebody has said, even if it had no ill intent. I've decided to myself, like, even when there is something that's a microaggression, I am going to point out to that person because, like you said, Suf, sometimes people just don't know. You mm -hmm. can't blame people for not knowing. We we spoke about um, the show we love, Only Fools and Horses, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and listen, back in the day, they were using the the, the word packy. They were using, uh, I, I think, wog. They were using darky. Terms that are just, you know, have no place in society. But if you if you grew up in the eighties seeing that it's completely normalized, right? So if, and and I had a friend reach out to me and say, and we're trying to read what he said. My my friend Ash, he lives in South Korea now, right? And Ash actually where I met him, mm -hmm. and he's a lovely guy, man. You know, I've never I've never seen any sort of discrimination or sort of white supremacist ideologies coming from him. But he said to me, like racism so embedded in the language that a lot of people don't even realize that they're being racist. Until I was around 16 or 17, my family would refer to ordering from a Chinese restaurant as getting a chinky. And yeah. people who were mixed race were half caste. I was lucky enough to have friends from different backgrounds to correct me and help me to learn the better use of language in support of people. That's beautiful to me. That's mm -hmm. beautiful to me because he grew up in a situation where this sort of problematic language was normalized. He was open-minded enough and fortunate enough to have friends from different backgrounds and then learn from those friends and correct this behavior. And now yeah. these sorts of microaggressions, yeah, I, I actually, I, I'm always sympathetic for people that don't know, but the, the time has come for people to be made aware that even these problematic microaggressions have to stop too. 100%. You have to as well, as well, I think it's a duty on the person as well. Granted, when you hear these things, sometimes they could, sometimes they can be uh, frustrating. Sometimes they could anger you. Whatever type of response, and they're not necessarily doing it to elicit that response from you. But I think it's kind of the duty on the person that's hearing that, um, and when they broach that subject with that person, to do it in a way that's not not combative, or at least it comes up across a way that's not combative, just in an educational way to say, like, look, I get you might not know, perhaps you, you know, just to quiz them on why it is they use that language. Um, and if there's a better way, you know, explain what, firstly what's wrong with it. And then hopefully that, that person is going to learn from that and they're not going to use it again, like your friend Ash 
obviously has. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that, that you know, you don't, you don't want to, because as well, like there have been times where I've talked out about things. So if I've heard something and then, you know, in typical British fashion, it's like, oh, chill out, mate. We're having a laugh, mate. Do you know what I mean? It's like, do you know what I mean? We're having a laugh, mate. It's like, well, no, no, we're not having it. You're having a laugh. Yeah. Like you're having a laugh. You're fucking having a laugh, mate, for like talking about it. <laughs> you know I mean? It's just, just like, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Like, I think you need to broach the subject in a particular way. And, it, it, you know, if, you can, if it can be avoided not to turn combative. Like they say, right, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and, and that's it. Like, I'm not, I'm not advocating for, like, you know, go out, go out and hug a racist. We're talking about these sorts of indiscretions that people don't even realize they're committing, Right these sorts of indiscretions that people commit and they don't even know they're doing wrong. These are the people that you need to say, hey man, look, this is how this comes across. This is what this actually means. This is the, the origins of this and this is why you shouldn't say it. And, and I think that that's a really constructive way to approach a subject. I have my own issues with race sort of, and like, you know, if someone, if someone saw you and me walking down the street, there's a very good chance they'll think we're, we have the exact same background, right? Highly likely, yeah. It's happened, I'm sure. If it has, happened. it has, it has. And, and you know, for for anyone that doesn't know our, our backgrounds out there, you know, I'm 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 mixed race. I'm mixed race. My dad is black, he's from Trinidad, my mum is from Cyprus, right? And Sufian is, is Moroccan, his parents are both Moroccan. The way people understand race and, and the very linear ways in which they look at people and, and sort of categorize people racially is has always been something that I've found a little bit weird, right? Because, you know, when when you when there is some sort of ambiguity, I'm using air quotations, ambiguity about your racial background. People don't really know how to treat you, right? They don't, you know, well, you're kind of black, but you're not really. Does that mean I can say certain things around you? I'm not really sure. And and it kind of falls into this situation where people are constantly trying to um, assess what they can and can't say around you. You know, I'd be the first to admit, if you probably never met someone half Trinidad and half separate before, so why would you know what, what one looks like? But, you know, I've had people people racialize me in different ways. People say they, they think I'm white. People say that I think I'm black. People say that I think I'm, as recently as, you know, this week I was, I was at a protest in Oakland and I got interviewed by the news and they edited me. Of course they edited me. On the YouTube comments of, of the video, somebody said, hmm, the reporter only asked white people what they thought about this. They went as far as asking a white British man about a black American problem. Man, like, firstly, you got to stay away from those YouTube comments, man. That is uh, a fucking cesspool. It's the you price of fame. <laughs> first of all, stay the hell away from there, man. But, but yeah, um, that's crazy that he and. Do you think it was your accent? It is. Oh, of course, the, the accent's a big part of it, right? And and I and I fully yeah. acknowledge that. You know, to a lot of people in America, British accent equates to Prince William, right? That no. <laughs> But but guess what? We we not we're not. There are there are people who are not white and live in England, are from England. But you know, and I also admit, like that, you know, there's very society draws very distinct racial lines in their mind. And like to be black, you have to have a certain hair texture and you have to have a certain complexion and or or whatever it is, right? So maybe that he looked at me or she looked at me. I don't want to assume anyone's gender, and they thought I was white. But that wasn't even the part that I took the most issue with in the comment. Let me say it again. You even went as far as asking a white British person what they thought about a black American problem. Uh yeah. So I didn't even I didn't even, I didn't even pick that up on the on the first on the first time hearing it. Right. Yeah. That is a that is a big problem, isn't it? Yeah. So you think that somebody being killed by your police force, irrespective of their color, is a black American problem. Well, mm. it's definitely an American problem. <laughs> it's definitely an, a problem you have in this country. It's just not a problem for black people only. And and that lack of 
that lack of awareness to see this as a human rights problem, right? Mm -hmm. Because if George Floyd was was Asian, if he was white, if he was Hispanic, and he he was killed the same way, it's still someone being killed brutally by the police. That should be the bottom line here. This is a human rights violation. And if, even if you don't want to admit, even if you've got your head in the sand, in the sand and you don't want to admit that there's a racial issue, view it as a human rights problem. Because if all lives matter, right, then mm -hmm. all lives matter, right? Like, shit, what are we doing here? Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I say all that to say, like, you know, I've had my own sort of mischaracterizations racially, and it happens a lot out here. And, and it's something I've come to sort of uh, navigate in my own way. But, you know, be, being from a mixed family, I, I think, you know, where a lot of my friends who, who are like yourself, who are, who are minorities, but, but non-black minorities, they have their own sort of cultural things. Like, you know, my friends who are South Asian have to have these conversations with their families, right? Because, you know, in, in Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi culture, there's a lot of anti-black racism, right? 100%, yeah. 100%. And, and so these conversations are being had now. Uh, in, in the East Asian communities, a lot of my friends out here who are, who are, you know, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, they're having these conversations with their families now as well. For, for me personally, sort of being mixed race, I, I feel like I have more of a duty because you know what? I have family, right? I have, I've got family who are white. Mm -hmm. I've got family, cousins, aunties, extended family who are white, right? And I'm sure they love me. I know they love me. Mm -hmm. But because you love me, it doesn't mean you, you can't be racist, right? And do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. I get what you're saying. I'm, it's like, um, yeah, it's the classic thing in England, isn't it? It's like, you know, when I when I was growing up at school, I remember there was there's times when I'd be told like, oh, yeah, not you. You're all right. It's the other ones. Yeah. And it's that classic thing, isn't it? It's like, well, I appreciate the fact that <laughs> you've included <laughs> me in this little group of yours. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, no, that's a problem, man. Like, would you mean the other ones? Because yeah. that's what my mum, my dad, yeah. Yeah. like my yeah. brothers, are they cool as well? What about yeah. my aunties and uncles? Like, where does it stop? Like, where where is this, you know, the other ones? Like, what, is, what do you mean by that? And um, yeah, no, 100%, I can get what you mean. And that, that, that I'm sure that would extend even to own family members where they yeah. have that, their prejudices that they're not aware, about, uh, aware of. Because, you know, during the the, the the issues with Brexit or further back, you know, the sort of response to ISIS and like, you know, Shabina Begum, the, the, the young girl who went across to Syria, um, mm -hmm. there was a big debate about that publicly. And I had family members who I, I thought were kind of espousing sort of, you know, those borderline statements, those borderline viewpoints. I think, well, you sound a bit racist. And if you weren't my family member, maybe I would overtly call you racist, right? And then I've seen, you know, some of my older relatives on, on Facebook, very supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement. So they don't see the connection between those two those two struggles, right? They don't see those those two things as connected. And I think like, I, I want to use my position of being in a mixed race family. And I encourage everyone else who has a mixed race family. That, listen, I've got friends who are mixed race, have a, a, a black parent and uh, a white parent who've, who've got no connection to their black parent. They might not have even met their black parent or they're, they're the only black person in their family. But if that's the case, can you imagine how isolating that would feel? Sort of? But if that's, yeah. your, if that's your circumstance, now's the time to use that position to actually connect with your white family and say, hey, look, this is how it makes me feel. When you say this, this is what it really means. And I, and I think, you know, that's a really important conversation to have. Not for this to turn into a counselling session, but we've, we, we touched on our own experiences mm -hmm. um, with this thing. And I think it's kind of healthy. At least for me, I found it quite, quite cathartic to kind of talk about some of these things. Because in the last week, in the last couple of weeks while this has been happening, there's, there's been things that I've been thinking about that happened whilst I was growing up. And at the time, there's, like you said, there's, there's instances that are much more overt and you know there's absolutely no disputing the fact that you know you you're someone who's being racist to you or anything like that but then the trickier ones is that you know the, the implicit 
um, small offhand comments that perhaps, you know, um, could be brushed off quite easily. You called the microaggressions. That wasn't not necessarily a term I was familiar with, but it's, um, yeah. I mean, in your experience, is there anything on the topic of racism in your own experience? Is there something that sticks out to you, a particular experience that you've had um, that's kind of, you know, impacted you? Oh, absolutely, bro. Definitely. And and so I think about this a lot. I've been, and again, I've been thinking about it a lot this week. And, and you know, for, for context, I, I grew up in a household, you know, my dad had a very hard line approach to racism. And I think it, it kind of, like I said, it heightened my awareness of it at a young age. So, you know, even from young, I was, I, I always felt a sort of othering. And I think something that you and I have in common and, and a couple of my other friends I've spoke to this week is that we're different because we're minorities, but we grew up in predominantly white areas, right? You have such a different relationship with racism when that's your reality. Because I've got friends who grew up in in, in like East London, uh, Northwest London, where everyone around them is, is, is like them, right? They're black or brown. So they had very little exposure to racism, right? Mm-hmm. They actually didn't have the experience of dealing with that that I did or maybe you do or or other friends would have done. I mean, I've got a, I've got a laundry list of them, but I mean, I can go I can go back to as far as like being nine and starting at a new school and being chased around, being called a nigger, which I'd never heard the word before, being called an mm-hmm. Arab, which I definitely never heard the word before. <laughs> People trying to beat me up, and and I mean, when you when you're experiencing that at nine, it has a definite effect in the way you see yourself in that community in that world. Mm-hmm. But man, I could, you know, countless situations, even in university when I first went to uni in a place like Portsmouth where there was there's a lot of issues there all the time you get people even drive past you i had someone spit on me i was going to go on a, i was going to a date uh with Fucking my ex-girlfriend hell, some spat on me out of a car you nigga spat on me out of the car <laughs> but I've, I've had like friends in I, I had a friend in portsmouth who was who was like honestly beaten to an inch of his life on in a racial attack there's there's, there's so many man I, I i mean you know there's the ones that are like you said like the overt bad ones but it's just the little things so if it's the little things like you said you know am i being treated differently because of this am i being treated differently because of that and um and yeah like i said man even in my own family there's been things which i, I won't get into on here because i don't want to i don't want to frankly i don't want to embarrass anybody so i don't want to embarrass anyone in in my family network and make them feel bad but there's been things that even to this day to this day that i haven't <laughs> um that i'm i'm not i'm not prepared to sort of um forgive and this week has actually brought some of those things back to the surface and then you know like so yeah man so many issues so many things uh that i think have sort of shaped the way i see the world and i see myself within the world uh what, what about you have you got anything like that stands out yeah man i mean for me and like you said it's it's growing up in a and i saw that when i went to university and when i was surrounded by people who grew up in in a, in a london um and they had a completely different experience growing up you know their schools they went to the inner city schools or some of the other schools that they went to they were they they weren't really a minority mm-hmm. you know which was not the case when i was growing up i, I mean i grew up in sussex or like south of england and it's like where i grew up looks very different now 20 years ago but yeah there was things that and they impact you in a way that you don't necessarily really realize or I think for me the biggest thing is that like you said there were some of the things that I didn't actually know what was going on or I didn't know what what they were talking about um and it didn't become apparent to me until later on in life um but like one sticks out you know like opening up you know sitting at lunchtime at school and the kids were like oh your lunchbox smells like curry and it's like well I would be like, well, my mom's, I don't, I don't think we've ever eaten curry. 
Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, well, that's the thing. It's just like, and it's things like that. Or it's, um, I remember as a kid, like I used to hate having curly hair, yeah. you know? Um, I remember I used to want to gel my hair down. And like there's, and, and at the time it's like, well, I just wanted to fit in. Yeah. And then I remember hating, I remember pleading with my mum. I hate, I didn't like having curly hair. And then when I look back, I'm like, fucking hell. That's because like, I just wanted to fit in, you know? And it's like, it's stuff like that, that you don't really think about until you, until you get a bit old and you come a bit mature and you reassess those moments. But it's things like that that have been, you know, coming back up to the surface, as you say. And as well, I want to point out, you know, that about the whole non-combative thing. It's like, I used to work for this insurance company and it was for like, um, uh claim um like motor insurance claims like a uh, car breakdown stuff uh, and it was for home insurance as well and i remember so i introduced myself on a call like hello sophian speaking blah 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 this old guy you know must have been me you know mid to late 40s um maybe early 50s talking to him um some sort of you know claim on his insurance i think it was for his boiler go through the whole process take all the details blah 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 and then come to the end of it and uh <laughs> He goes, sorry, mate, I didn't catch your name at the beginning of the call. And I was like, oh, my name's Sufian. And he goes, oh, wh- where are you calling from then? And I was like, <laughs> how I? I was like, I was like, I'm calling from, um, it was Surrey that where the, where the office was. I was like, I'm calling from Surrey. He goes, Surrey, England. And I was like, yeah, England. He goes, can I just say your English is absolutely fantastic? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, it's my first language. Like I was, trying to, I was trying to like make it like trying to, maybe this guy was just having a slow moment. And then I realized like he genuinely was confused. The fact that someone with a name like Sufian is, you know, talking to him in the Queen's English. And he's like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? And I was just like, well, yeah, my name's Sufian. Yeah. And, um, and he goes, well, how come you don't have a name like George then? fuck me and i was like i was like do you know what man we need to end this call because <laughs> i was like uh, yeah it's crazy though but that's the thing it was he wasn't combative he wasn't obviously you know you know making an insurance claim on your boiler is probably not the best time on that call for me to address some of the racial issues that you know that society <laughs> and why he's maybe his view is slightly warped um and it probably wasn't the best time for it but like it that's what i mean he wasn't combative he was genuinely you know just not in the know you know, he, he he didn't seem like someone who was angry. He just literally seemed like he, he had, yeah, he was, he was confused. So it's, um yeah, and it's things like that. that I think that exi- that is rife in the UK. It's things like that. That's, um these aren't people who are, yes, we have our fair share of the overt racism, but I think it's the more we have a lot more in the UK. It's a lot more of the complicated stuff. It's that, it's that, it's that sneaky, uh, more, it's more covert. It's a bit more, it's more implicit, you know? Yeah um that's that's what we have here which which has its own which presents its own problems really you know so one one thing i have been sort of uh, dragging up in the last week has been some cases which i have always thought about some some instances which i've always thought about that you know were either local or national news and i've been sharing on facebook just to remind people this happened this happened and i'm not talking about things like the stephen lawrence case right which we all know about we all know the racial implications but i'm talking about you know i remember i remember in 2004 when England played Portugal in the, in the Euros, right? That was around the time where, I guess, movement of people was was happening. So, like, a lot of Portuguese moved to England to work in, in certain parts of the UK. And there was a Portuguese pub, right? Which, when it, when Portugal beat England, the pub was attacked, right? With women, men, and children inside. It was attacked. Yeah. 35 windows were smashed. They were hurling racist abuse. They assaulted people. 10 people went to prison. 
right? That's racist. That is overt. That is like, we don't want you here. Get the fuck out. Why are you here? And you can you can attribute it to football violence, but I mean, you know, the reality is that that was just an excuse to be able to tell these people, fuck off, we don't want you here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I brought up the case of Charles de Menzies, the, the, the Brazilian student that was shot in the head at Stockwell Station. Of right? course, yeah. That was amid all the terrorism stuff, wasn't it? Right. I mean, yeah. the, the reality is, like, you know, he was he was sort of, you, you know, he looked like you, so if he looked like me, right? Mm. He had that sort of ambiguity where, oh, you might be from Brazil, but you might also be uh, a Syrian terrorist. Like, you know, <laughs> because, you know, in that strange way where people don't know where to place you, they, they yeah. for some reason, as, as, attributed him to being involved in the, the, the terror, 7-11 terror attacks. He had no yeah. links, and they shot him in the head at Stockwell Station. You can that. you you can say it's racism. You can say it's not racism, but like that's problematic, and there's a racial element to it, right? There's a mm. you know, so these things happen. I'm just I'm I'm banging my drum, and I'm I'm letting people know, like you know, we're not off the hook here in England, right? My, my friend Leighton, we've been kind of having these conversations for a long time, right? And we always talk about media representation of minorities, particularly black people, but minorities more broadly, right? In the UK, right? And when you look at the way Lewis Hamilton, if you go on Lewis Hamilton's Instagram. It is a fucking cesspit, right? Oh, yeah. Please, yeah, carry on. Sorry, it is. You know the comments you hear about him, like, oh, um, you know, why are you why are you dressing like a gangster because he's got uh, earrings and braids, right? <laughs> the sort of denouncement of his Englishness because he, um, you know, pays taxes in Switzerland or doesn't pay taxes. The same as Jensen Button, who's the blue-eyed boy over, right? Mm. But for, for some reason, Lewis Hamilton's conduct is constantly called into question. Raheem Sterling. You know, his yeah. contact... Ashley Cole. Sufian, thank you, brother. You read my mind. Yeah. Because actually, actually, another one of those issues that I brought up, right? Hard, the Ashley Cole situation. So I sat in a pub in 2012 with the same friend, Leighton. We sat there watching England play, right? Mm-hmm. Packed pub. Everyone there's white. Do you know what I heard, Suf? Hmm. I heard, fuck off, Ashley Cole, you black cunt. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. No one said anything. We looked at each other. No one said a, no one said a word. Yeah. Ashley Cole, con- one of the best players this country's ever produced, constantly demonized, right? Yeah. I mean, he cheated on his wife, but so did David Beckham. Mm. That's not the issue. The issue is that he was a he was a black footballer who was so he's a mixed race, right? He's a mixed race footballer who was successful, yeah. who was making money. And and when you're when you're when that is your descriptor, when that is your identity, you're arrogant, you're cocky, you're flashy, right? Yeah. And that's the way the media in the UK portrays like uh like minorities especially especially black men right and and it's been like that for years we we see that in the sport that we love to talk about as well with in in terms of the combat sports like in the uk it's like yes amir khan it doesn't do himself any favors yeah he doesn't do himself any favors in the press he does you know um and but he won uh was it a silver medal in the olympics silver, yeah, for, silver. for great britain yeah he won a silver medal for the olympics in great for great for great britain yeah and when people talk about Amir Khan, they're like, oh, I just don't like Amir Khan. And you're like, well, well, why? What is it about him? Oh, it's just, you know, it's mouthy. Same thing with Floyd Mover. Don't like Floyd Mover, mate. Yeah, he's just, he's good. Yeah, he's all right. But he talks a bit. Anthony Joshua. Yeah. I, and that's why you see like other athletes like Anthony Joshua. He needs to, you know, he has this sort of, sort of humble bravado because he kind of seen this. But Conor McGregor. Oh, yeah. He's a laugh, isn't he? He's funny, isn't he? He's, uh, he, you know, likes to talk some smack. And that's, that's really cool. They like that. And I always wonder, like, in the, particularly in the UK, they, they like to rally behind. They don't necessarily show the support of, you know, Amir Khan was never going to get the support um, 
the Ricky Hatton got. He's, that's yeah. just, that just wasn't that wasn't going to happen. Maybe we see a slightly different thing with Vanti Joshua because there's a lot of people in the UK who 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 support him. But that that type of thing is absolutely. And, and when you quiz these people on it, like what is it you don't like about them? They never really give you a substantive answer as to why it is they don't like that person. They're not why they're not fans. Um, and you wonder how much of that is due to the color of their skin. Um, that's something that I've that I've noticed as well in in combat sports. Combat sports is is, is an absolute cesspit for it, right? And and I I mean I'm sure it is just a representation of the the broader society, maybe a microcosm, but it, it does feel like those sort of sentiments are more concentrated in combat sports. I mean I I um I've been loving Stipe Miocic's uh, tweet recently. You know the one that, uh, on Instagram he he posted a a, a blacked out tile for Blackout Tuesday. And one of the comments was, hey, Stipe, I think you forget most of your fan base is white. And it shows in the comments below. Yes, and he yes. responded with, you know, I don't care about my fan base. I care about the world which my daughter has to grow up in. Mike, mm -hmm. drop. And, but yeah, I mean, I've seen Ariel Hawani being absolutely dragged in his comments for, for, for supporting the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement. To, to be honest, I, I can't speak to it in a, in, in a UK context, but there there is a, a very strong undercurrent of like sort of, the more right-leaning, ex-military, pro-cop sort of mentality in the in the jiu-jitsu MMA community out here. You feel it in gyms, man, 100%. So I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of it. You know, you said, you know, sports is a great way to sort of pick up on racism, right? Because even as a kid, you know, I always identified with the black players, right? You know, I always, I always had an affinity of like Ian Wright and Andy Cole, and they were the guys I really wanted to be like. And they were never represented in the England squad, right? They never made it in the England squad. And I, you know, I was Andy Cole Stan. I loved him. He was my guy. And he was always snobbed for the World Cup and he would be top scorer in the league and he would be this and that and win these trophies, but he would never make it into the England squad. I had a narrative in my mind that this was because of his race, right? And whether it was true or not, when you start to see that, and when you start to feel that, it's really hard to go back from that, man. And you start to feel uh, almost like an outsider in your own country. That's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because uh, there's been instances where I've walked into, like, it could be a pub, for example, and there might not be anything that is going on in terms of like any, anyone in that, everyone in that room could be mild mannered and, you know, um, not racist in any sense of the word. But there's been times when I've walked into it and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a rational guy. I think, I think I'm a pretty rational guy, but there's been moments that I've walked into like a room like that and I've instantly felt uncomfortable instantly. It's, and it's because that like, I'm the other, you know, and I know that's, you know, then there has, and there hasn't been anything that has happened in order for me to feel that way. But you're right. There's enough that's happened previously that makes me question my own place in a room like that and that's an and something like that is very difficult to wash off um because like i said like these men that i walked into the room they they didn't do anything to yeah they might have looked at looked at me or stared at me but um you know and i'm walking into a, to a pub full of people yeah that's perfectly normal for for people just to look at new people that have walked in but for me you know i'll, I'll take that and i'm like oh my god yeah i'm looking i'm walking into a room full of white english people do you know what i mean i'm just like oh should i leave or these are thoughts that are going into my head that are they rational i don't know like probably not but because actually nothing is happening in, the, in that environment for me to question my own safety or anything like that but it's um you're right it's uh, once you see the world in that way or once you've experienced you know racism it's sometimes very difficult it's a very difficult smell to wash off like uh, you know from yourself and the way you see the world and it, yeah it basically isolates you right it, you know you become hyper aware of of any sort of 
uh, microaggression and then you you internalize it and then you start to feel like I don't belong here. This is, you know, you, you then other yourself in a way, right? Mm. And I've been thinking about this in the context of, um, because I, I just got through watching this this TV show called uh, Caliphate, which is a Swedish TV show about the radicalization of kids in Sweden. And this is where it comes from. So, you know, radicalization doesn't come from because Islam is evil. It comes from disenfranchised young people who feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kid born to Algerian parents in France. And I don't feel like I belong because I've been constantly told that I'm not French. Right. It comes from kids in Bradford being told that you're not really British because you, you're, you're brown and, and you speak Urdu at home. And well, it, come, it comes from marginalization. And I mm-hmm. think it stems from racism. It stems from that sort of othering. And, and yeah, man, like I, I completely feel what you're saying. I completely agree with what you're saying. It's something that like, you know, speaking to my own experiences. Yeah, I've, I've always sort of felt that. And, and I can be honest, like I, there might be times where I am sort of um, preemptively jumping down someone's throat because I think, yeah, you're fucking, you're, you're, you're coming at me sideways for whatever reason, right? I remember, I remember um, in the 2006 World Cup and I keep bringing this to football, it's the third football reference, fourth football reference I've made, right? But it's just such a very easy way to be around um, like the mainstream culture in the UK. It's such an easy way to, such an easy entry way into it. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, 2006, um, I don't know if you remember, but Trinidad and Tobago qualified for the World Cup, right? When I was a kid, right? When people would say like, oh, I'm Spain or I'm Italy or I'm France, I'd always pick Brazil. And I picked Brazil because it was the closest good country to Trinidad because Trinidad were never going to make it to the World Cup, right? Of course. When Trinidad made it to the World Cup in 2006, I could, I was overwhelmed. I was so happy. I thought, wow, like, you know, I was born in England. Don't get it wrong. I was born in England. I grew up in England, but I always felt like, you know, Trinidad's my team or Cyprus is going to be my team. You know, so when Trinidad made it, I was so proud of them. I had a Trinidad and Tobago shirt for the World Cup and lo and behold, who got matched up? England and Trinidad, right? So bear in mind, bruv, I went to a pub during the World Cup. Of course, it's going to be all England fans, right? I wear my Trinidad shirt and the match wasn't even sort of close, right? Trinidad were huge underdogs. England are a powerhouse. And I got abused for 90 minutes, man. I got names hurled at me. I got people screaming at me. Tell me, a, call me a cunt. Tell me this, fuck you, this, that, and the other, right? And I thought this is a. I, I was I was amazed. I was amazed at the sort of like intensity of, of the of the vitriol that I was receiving. Right, England win, end of the game. Everyone's like, "Fair play, mate. Good game. Shake my hand. Shake my hand." And I just thought to myself, if, if England had lost, I'd have pretty got beaten up. Right. That was such a um, a sort of eye opening moment for me, man, because I, I realized like there is very little room for you to sort of embrace your home culture or, you know, the culture of, you know, if you're first gen, there's no, there's no room for you to sort of be connected to that and, and still retain some sort of Englishness because for, for years it's been something that hasn't been able to happen, right? You're, you're either English or you're not basically, right? Yeah, man. And, and that's, and that's the thing in the UK that's also very confusing because we have this split between like in America you're if you're if you have african um descent if you're from that you know from that descent you're called an african-american if you're from you know from another part of the world like let's say china you're asian american mm-hmm. or whatever in the uk there's a distinction between the country that you're born in and i know this because you know um you know, it's great britain it's formed it's not just formed of england itself it's formed of you know other countries as well but you know when you say you say i'm british yeah and what does that mean like there's this there's this clear distinction between english and british you know yeah like someone like me 
I was born here. I've lived here all my life. I always used to refer to myself as British. Mm -hmm. I think most people would because, you know, my parents originated originally born in Morocco. And although I was born here, I, I never saw myself as English because well, but that's what I should be because I mean, I was born here. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I was born in England, then why aren't I English? But I never referred to myself as English. If I ever dreamt of doing that, my parents would be looking at me sideways. Like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what, what do you mean? You're Moroccan? Yeah. I was like, am I? Well, I wasn't born there. So <laughs> like, what, what, how, how, how am I Moroccan? I'm Moroccan by, by proxy. Like, I'm Moroccan by the fact that you're, because you're Moroccan and you were born there. Like, but there's, there's very little of me that's, apart from this color of my skin and the fact that I can talk the language mm. and some of my behaviors, maybe my sense of humor or whatever, and my understanding, my cultural understanding. Yeah. Maybe some of that's Moroccan, but for the most part, like I would sound pretty English. There was one time when someone said, where, uh, where are you from? And I was like, ah, no, they said, are you English? And I said, oh, I'm British. And they're like, where were you born then? And I was like, England. And, like, and this guy was a, he was an old white, white, uh, English, British guy. And he said, well, you're English then, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> I was like, but that did, and dude, that happened. I was 20, 24 or like 20, 23. Do you know what I mean? How did I go so long? Like just seeing those things completely set. And you know, that's the thing. Like when I'm on the, on the census, yeah. And I don't want to get, I don't want, I don't want this to be in it. You know, I, I get it. This podcast is about a platform where I can voice my opinions and hopefully people can listen to it and not switch off for one minute in. But <laughs> You know, it's the small things as well. Like the fact that when I fill out an application, I'm an other, you know, it's things like that. It's like, it's things like, well, I don't even know what to fill out. You know, like it's, it's, it's madness, man. It's madness. Like, it's just, there's a lot of things. And, and in some ways I'm really, this whole situation, like I said at the beginning, I hope there's real positive change to come out of it. But I think, I think for me, before I start going out to change change the world like i need to clean my own room first there's a lot of things that like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that have happened in my life that have impacted the way i see things and there's there's there's, there's people that are close to me that i can uh, impact and hopefully change their opinions and i think that's that's what i'd like you know to come back to the original point of this this episode it's like yeah 100 percent. like i think if anything you don't have to be a protest you don't have to do all this but if you can change the opinion of one other person and hopefully or you can you can bring them around to the way of thinking that hey we're all equal and there are some there are some people in this country both in you know in and around the world that don't feel like they belong or they feel marginalized and hopefully we can all agree that that's not a good thing and we should be making steps to, to change that the, the idea of people being marginalized making the wider community realize marginalized people is a problem for everybody that really does start for start at home for all of us so we have our experiences right we've, we've grown up you know looking how we do having our backgrounds in the uk right and obviously we you know just due to the sheer sort of power and uh, voice that america has you know we kind of see the 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 plight of of particularly black people but other minorities in the us one thing that's been really interesting about this last week is is my opportunity to have an insight into my friend's who are black over across the world in different parts of the world, right? Who are experiencing experiencing variations on these themes, but with a, a, a local twist, right? And how those things have changed. And so I've got a friend who is uh, Dutch. She grew up in in, in Amsterdam. She's um, her dad is uh, from Suriname. He's black, and her mum is from um, Indonesia, right? So she's mixed, mm. right? 
and she posted a status on Facebook the other day, and uh, it just it just it really struck me as like, wow, this is like it, that's when I really realized this is a moment for everybody. This isn't just an American problem. This isn't just an American thing. This is an opportunity for all of us to sort of voice our opinion and voice our experiences and and try to educate the people around us. And um, she basically said, you know, like pretty much the same. You know, if you're complaining about protests. Um, you know, and you think the protest is the issue, then you're missing the point completely because racism is the issue, right? Um, but then what she goes on to say, which I just, I just, I thought was was brilliant. She basically went to say, "Unfriend me if you still believe that uh, joie Pete is a part of the tradition. Uh, if you think my roots is a reason for a dress up, then you need to basically delete me." Now, that's a uniquely sort of um, Northern European thing. The does joie Pete, and he's this sort of mythical character that is supposed to be like a um a sidekick of saint nicholas father christmas and around christmas time as uh, pete will come out you know dressed up alongside father christmas and it's basically a guy in blackface right Fuck. A guy in blackface okay. and this has been around since the mid 1800s right it's a guy in a curly afro wig with blackface and big red lips like a fucking gollywog basically but this is a part mm. of like dutch and i believe some other countries tradition right but mm -hmm. Oh, hang on. Can we not just agree that, like, maybe it's time to end this this tradition? Because the the origins of the character was that he was a slave, right? Wat Pete was a slave, was a more right. a Moorish slave, and and so the fact that she was able to voice this to her her wider community and say, "Hey, look, it's time for this shit to end now," because yeah, maybe we're not getting shot to death or beaten to death like the like people in America are, but actually, this is a problem to us here. Now, I just thought it was, it's such a unique sort of. Um, twist on it and we've we've seen similar things with like you know over here in in the u.s um the sort of confederacy monuments right mm -hmm. there's the argument from from white america that oh this is history and we should keep it but then people are like well no because this history directly correlates to my ancestors being fucking murdered and enslaved i can understand this history but like can we just not agree that it's time to bury that history or like to to not at least not have monuments and flags about it right and um, mm -hmm. you know, so interestingly, out of this, the 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 U.S. Marine Corps has has announced that they're going to ban all um, like Confederate flag imagery on their bases, right? So you can't have it on your car or anything. It took a week for that shit to happen. You know, that is progress. And we've seen um, we've seen in Bristol today the the protests in Bristol. They they toppled the um, they they actually removed the the statue of um, like a slave trader. Uh, in Bristol, and they dumped it into the harbor. Which you know, I was getting strong Saddam Hussein vibes from that when they when they pulled that shit down and threw it into the water. But like, yeah, it's saying like like you know, the guy's name was Edward Colston. It's saying that yeah, actually, like this isn't acceptable. We want to we want to move on from it, and like we deserve to be represented fairly by this country too. So it's been really interesting to see it globally how it, how how these little um, symbols that are distinct to each country are affecting people and how they are they they are either being eradicated or they have been eradicated and i think that's great no i couldn't agree more man like i said I, it, it does feel that there's some momentum again, uh, behind this and this movement has you know spread like wildfire really across the across the globe and that makes me happy to see there are there are some voices really like that you hear on the whether it's on the news or on an instagram post that are like very clear and um very clearly articulating what they feel needs to be done and what they feel the issues are and where we need to see improvement. And that makes me really happy to see. And I'm hoping that all these movements and all these efforts to, to, to shine a spotlight on these transgressions um, 
it's just not done in vain, man. And I hope that we see some proper change off the back of this. That's that's really, uh, I'm hoping that that's the case. I really do. Absolutely, bro. I think, like I said, some of these these small steps have already happened. So I think, you know, we're, we're, we're on the right track. I mean, I've even seen petitions to change the curriculum in England to actually wow. acknowledge, oh, there's this thing called the British Empire. And it wasn't all about like, oh, look, we've got sugar now. And oh, look, we've got tea now. It's like, oh, actually, um, we're actually killing people in these places and taking their land. Mm-hmm. So it's like, cool, yeah. like, oh, I'd love to learn about that. I'd love to, I'd actually love to, that to be taught in schools. And now it's on the, on the agenda. People are actually saying like, this needs to be in the curriculum. And maybe sort of when, you know, when, when we have kids that they're going to be in a school where they're, le- they're taught about that. And it's not mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, the Anglo-Saxons were pretty cool. Yeah, I do think our current education system is, is doing a bit of a disservice because it does feel like a lot of this is just like swept under the rug. You know, like, oh, yeah, we know we, um, yeah, what happened in India, Pakistan, all the division of land and all the people that were killed and all that. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just forget about that. Is that cool? Yeah. Um, all the stuff that happened in Nigeria and uh, it's just, it's important for people to realize that in the UK, they kind of take the position of being brought up and living in the UK for granted. And the fact that, the UK, the UK and Great Britain, it's and the US. It's only in it's only in the place it is, off the backs of all these terrible, horrific incidents that have happened in history, where other people and other nations are still feel are still feeling the the catastrophic events that happened there. Whether it be in India, whether it be in Africa, whether it be in wherever else. And I think in the UK we have a little bit of a tendency to kind of take that for granted and not see the fact that. There are still some people, you know, England as well. I think England as well. They're really, they're really unaware of the fact that all of our neighbours hate us. <laughs> like every, like literally everyone. France doesn't like England. Ireland doesn't like England. Yep. Republic of Ireland doesn't like England. Scotland doesn't like England. Wales doesn't like England. England hates everyone. Everyone seems to hate everyone. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, and I think people don't really realise why that is, you know? And it's because of just this complete lackadaisical, like unaware of their own and I, yes i get it well, i'm not trying to hold you responsible for, for shit that happened 100 years ago i'm not trying to do that but at least have some kind of when you're talking to people just be just be a little bit aware about how you're being perceived how what you're saying is gonna how they're gonna take what you're what, what you're saying to them it doesn't even have to be back 200 years it doesn't have to go back to slavery it doesn't have to go back to the first time an englishman set foot in australia or india and and, and killed a brown person there's a sense of it in England with English people that what they have was built off their own back, was created. My granddad fought in the war for this. My granddad didn't go to war so you could protest and, and, and graffiti on war memorials about Black Lives Matter. That is a rhetoric that I've heard endlessly, right? My granddad this, my granddad that. And you know what, Suf? It's bullshit because they don't know that their granddads weren't the only people there. They don't know that their people were not the only ones shedding blood context now right Hmm. there's a photo that we have in my family from 1917 right and it's my great-grandfather so it's my my grandmother's dad right and Mm -hmm. he was born around 1899 1900 right in trinidad um he's a black man and this picture is of him in his uniform right and he went to uh he fought in world war one in the middle east like palestine israel well there was no israel then you know in the in this sort of palestine jerusalem area right? He got a bayonet wound, right? And he went back to Trinidad, lived his life, 
whatever, right? Lived his life out. He shed blood in World War One. He shed blood for a country that doesn't care about him, doesn't acknowledge him as British. And in fact, he didn't he didn't even have a family member born there until 86 when my sister was born there. I'm the first male born in England from my family. And that was 70 years after he went to war, right? But to hear the narrative from, from you know, Billy down the street, my granddad fought the Germans for this country and you're here trying to take advantage of it. Well, no, you did. This is not all you. It was it was something that was created by all of us and all of our mm-hmm. family. And I'm not saying, you know, by virtue of the fact of having a family member in the war, you deserve to be in England more than someone that doesn't. But it's, I'm just countering this narrative that you have some sort of entitlement more than anybody else because you had family members in the war. You know, and and I don't know if you've seen the movie 1917. I haven't yet. No, I haven't seen it. Yes, it's a great movie. And it's a great, um, like visually, it's, a, it's an amazing representation of World War One, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and you know what? So in that movie, it actually features black and brown people, so uh, West Indian and 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 you know Caribbean, you know soldiers from the Caribbean, soldiers from from the Indian subcontinent, right? And online, I'd see people saying, "Well, fucking, you know, oh, trying to get diversity quota, diversity quota, right?" They didn't even know that these people were there, and it's mad. It's mad. It? But the only reason they yeah. were there is because the, the the director Sam Mendes, he's of Trinidadian descent, and he had a grandfather who was in the World mm-hmm. War One, right? So the only way that narrative narrative was even put out there was because someone had a direct con- connection to it. People were not even aware. And, and that's a big part of it. It's this sense of like, you know, this is my country because my people fought for it. But that's that couldn't be further from the truth, man. The victors get to write history, you know, mm-hmm. basically. And like the the, the 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 people who have the loudest voice often the ones that get heard. There, there are just people who are just completely unaware and just take things for the face of it. We had a picture of Jesus and uh, a picture of Hannibal, and it was like where these people were born, like in 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 the in the world, and like what they would have looked like, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's like these people were born in Turkey, or like they were born in you know in Jerusalem. Like they're all brown people, like literally, like these people who who live in this part of the world like you said, whitewashing history where it's perfectly normal to depict Jesus who had no business being a white ginger dude. Like, had, like do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't want to really get into relig- religious, all this stuff, but like, I'm just saying there's a lot of, there's a lot of that and people feel, people feel that and there's people who are completely unaware of any of that stuff even happening. If you want a true depiction of Jesus, it, it looks somewhere between me and Sufyan. He, he, that's how he look. <laughs> I mean, that's it. If, if Jesus, yeah, the good fade as well. I've got a decent fade. <laughs> yeah, I would not have had the, I would not have the long greasy hair like him, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, if Jesus was around today, they'd be like, "What? What, what are you? <laughs> yeah, where, where are you, you really from? from? Earlier, well, my my mom's, <laughs> that's my mom's from Jerusalem. My dad's God. <laughs> where are you really from? <laughs> oh, you look, you look so exotic. <laughs> Uh, that's another thing, man. Exotic, like, what am I? A fucking glass of tropicana? Umbongo, what do you mean, like umbongo. exotic? Umbongo. <laughs> man, it's just yeah. That's another thing. It's just like I said, like we've said a hundred times on this. It's it's um, they don't necessarily mean anything bad by it. They're probably even trying to be complimentary, yeah. you know. But it's just like exotic, like you're this fucking ap- tr- member of the Amazonian tribe yeah. or something. It's just like it's just like no, that's not the case. <laughs>
you know, we've covered a lot of the negative and we have covered some of the positive, but I, I do want to make sure that I'm being abundantly clear that I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm really taken back actually by the amount of people that are people that I wouldn't really have expected it from as well. There's people who, who've been particularly vocal on social media and they've talked out about it's not just sharing a black square they've dedicated really their instagram or their social media outreach to to really tackling this issue and they have literally quite literally they're, they're really of course they have skin in the game in the fact that they are um a, a human you know we should all be working towards this you know this goal of of equality they're, these are people who who really do see the issue for what it is and the fact that it's a human issue it's not a race issue it's not a it's not uh, anything like that. It's, it's, um, it's, yeah, they see for what it is. And, and I'm really being blown back by a lot of that, actually. Yeah, there's, there's definitely such a great sort of uh, wave of allyship coming from this. And, and, and that's great. And I mean, I'm not going to be one of those people who is very uh, kind of skeptical or wary of this and say, oh, they're just jumping on a bandwagon. Because g- guess what? That's exactly what we need people to do. We need people to jump on the bandwagon. That's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is not a trend. It's not, you know, the, ye- the latest Yeezys or something, right? It's not, you know, having these conversations and, and awareness, you don't get change without awareness. And if people are, you know, even if people are posting for social brownie points, well, guess what? They're still posting about it. And as long as those, com- the, the main thing is that people have these conversations in their in their real life, right? In their day-to-day, in the people around them. And that's how we see change. And, and I think that's the most important thing. So, you know, the allyship I've seen from from white people and non-white minorities, like I said, I've, I've seen some amazing posts from, from my Asian friends who are like, yo, like, we got this problem in our own community and we need to address it. I mean, here's how you talk about anti-black racism with Bangladeshi parents or with Chinese parents or Vietnamese parents. And it's like, cool. Like is, we're, we're, we're starting mm-hmm. to get on the same page about this, man. So I'm loving, I'm loving yeah. seeing that, you know, active allyship is, I guess, how you see change eventually, right? It takes time, but you need people to be having these conversations. So um, with that said, I want to use the recommendation section of this week's show to share with our listeners resources that we've found useful or insightful around the issue of race and for me i'm gonna recommend the book uh, natives by akala um it's a book which i read about a year and a half about a year ago and uh for me it gave i haven't read anything that i felt could have been written by me i felt some of the stories and some of the opinions and some of the anecdotal experiences that akala had experienced in his life growing up I could really relate to and you know he's he's a mixed race person I'm a mixed race person but it spoke more widely about the the impact of and legacy of colonization and empire and how that affects people of color in the UK um it's an absolutely amazing book I've actually bought it for three different people uh, in the last year and they've all loved it and I cannot recommend it highly enough natives by Akala awesome man I'm definitely pick that one up for me, what I'd like to recommend is it's not necessarily to do with race, uh, more to do with religion, but I think it's a lot of, and you don't necessarily have to be a Muslim to read this book because I think it, it touches on a lot of um, uh, issues that it helps gain a sort of a window into some of the struggles um, that young Muslims feel growing up in in cultures that are very different from the ones that they're taught at home. The book is called Letters to a Young Muslim, it's by a gentleman called Omar Saif Robash, that's spelled G-H-O-B-A-S-H. Um, what can I say, man? This book is, when I when I read it, I felt like this guy was literally sitting in a room, like talking to me, 
some of the stuff that he told me i don't really feel like i've really been able to vocalize i feel like in the back of my head i felt like some of these issues that i felt you know growing up as a muslim and any you could be in any religion but if you grow up in a country that like i said is you feel there's like a double life that you have to lead essentially in that there's a bunch of stuff that you see outside of your house and there's a bunch of stuff that you see inside of your house that are completely disparate um and you don't necessarily know how to because of you know how juxtaposed these you know this way of living is it makes it very difficult to to reconcile the two and this book does an absolutely fantastic job of speaking to the reader and um helping to understand the genesis of some of the issues in the muslim and uh, islamic community and what we should be doing in an effort to tackle it um you know some of the things you said about you know races racism and that sort of thing existing in within muslim communities he does from my memory he does touch on that he also touches on like just the mistreatment of women and other things as well which i think is it's an absolutely fantastic book and i'd recommend anybody particularly if you're muslim but you don't necessarily need to be muslim to pick this one up and that's letters to a young muslim by omar saif rubash Thank you, bro. And we will uh, share these recommendations on social media. Um, we'll, we'll put both of them up on the Instagram so you can all see. And hopefully you can pick them up and learn, learn something from them as well. I'm going to have to check that out. That's on- man, this book is honestly, man, it changed, it changed my, uh, I, lent, I lent it to my mum. Because <laughs> I was like, mum, yeah. I was like, so I read it and I was like, mum, you need to read this. <laughs> I was like, because honestly, like, this is the thing. Like, my mum should understand. Like, she grew up in England as a as a as a Muslim, as a Moroccan, and she feels, you know, I'm not talking to anybody that's like who's completely unaware of the situation that I'm in. But I think the UK is a very different place to what it was that when she was growing up. So she harbors a lot of like different views. I think, um, and she's a she's like a you know a rational person, but. I think some of the things in the book when I was trying to communicate it to her, she was just like, yeah, she even herself, she was like, man, I didn't even see it. Like, she didn't say man, but she was like, I didn't even see, she didn't, she didn't even see it like, like that. And I think it was, man, honestly, I'd recommend, highly recommend this book. And I'm going to pick up the Ocala one, 100%. She was like, listen, yeah, I don't see it like that, man. Blood, you're, you're mad if you think like, I don't know. You're moving kind of mad, Sufian, yeah? Talking, talking about fucking letters to a young Muslim. What's wrong with your face, blood? <laughs> Dickhead. Now go and make dua before I clap you, fam. <laughs> What's that, mum? Yeah. What's that, mum? Do I have to say it again, fam? <laughs> what was that? Um, that fucking freestyle. Uh, Crept in Conan. Oh, the like, is... <laughs> I missed the rolls. Mad thing. Mad happening. <laughs> Yes, I actually should have sent money abroad. Thinking back to my other. I actually should have sent money abroad, gave back to my other. But I blame the roads, mad thing. I grew up around fuckeries happening. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for this week's show. You know, we've covered a lot of difficult subjects and there's a lot going on in the world. And I hope you can use this this podcast as a resource for kind of understanding what people in positions different to yours are going through and also finding some solace in, in seeing that, you know, other people are going through things similar to you. At the end of the day, we're all kind of in this in this fight together. And I just hope that everything that comes out of this the last week can be used to actually, you know, enact some positive change in, in the UK, in the US and all around the world. Yeah, couldn't agree more, man. Um, I hope that 
all these movements i hope it exacts positive change um and for just for myself this has been really good for me and quite like i said cathartic to just to talk through some of these things and hopefully um our listeners can like i said listen to this and gain insight into a different way of seeing the world or how you know someone else has had a different experience and hopefully something positive comes out of that as well all right so from me lewis and from me sufian i hope you guys enjoyed the episode keep your eyes peeled for episode six that'll be coming out next week peace take care of yourselves